so grateful for the continued life that you've given us, that you've extended time, that you've placed us here, all in this room together, um, at this moment in history, at this time, uh, to have an effect and to have an impact. And Father, I pray your blessing over today. Um, I ask that your spirit would be here, um, that, you would, um, that you would guard my words, um, that you would that you would be made great and made, uh, made much of today. I thank you for this time, and I thank you for um, the gift of your son, Jesus. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome. Y'all can have a seat. <clears throat> Welcome to Awakened Church. My name is Stephen. I am one of the deacons here, and uh, I am just really excited that I get to be here and, uh, and share with you all today. So I, uh, I'm one of the deacons here, uh, love this Awakened Church family, and um, also co-lead one of our small groups. If you're not part of a small group, I'd encourage you to get plugged in. It's where the rubber meets the road in terms of uh, this Christian life. So um, if, you, uh, if you're looking for a good small group to join, um, there are a handful throughout town. I recommend that you all um, get plugged in. We love them. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of a series called What the Bible Doesn't Say. And uh, what, it, what we're doing is we're unpacking um, a bunch of silly phrases, a bunch of phrases that uh, are commonly used, sometimes commonly attributed to Scripture, but are actually not in Scripture and actually um, contradict um, theology in, in Scripture. So it, it may seem silly like for us to pick on um, a bunch of uh, silly phrases that just seem innocuous, there's no harm in them. Uh, but the reality is that everything has theology in it. Everything has directional impact to it. And uh, it would just break my heart if you were at a crossroads and you were standing there and you were considering multiple paths and, uh, and you reached into your pocket and you pulled out something that was silly and you ascribed weight to it and you ascribed truth to it and you made a directional decision based off of it and went down a path that wasted time, that wasted resources, that wasted... Um, uh, they just wasted the precious stuff that you've got and either hurt yourself or hurt others. And so that's what we're doing. We're, we're looking at the moral weight of uh, what it is that we commonly say. So we've gone through things like God won't give you more than you can handle. God helps those who help themselves. God works in mysterious ways. And actually, Frank is wrapping up next week with uh, cleanliness is next to godliness, which I'm excited about. I thought my mom made that up, but apparently not. Um, I hope you've noticed that as we've been going through this series, there's always one fundamental lie inside each one. There's a fundamental lie or distortion of God's nature inside each one. Um, and that's actually, that's uh, Satan's favorite trick, is to pass off things that smell like truth, that look like truth at a certain angle, um, but it's always a distortion of something in God's nature. Um, I, I actually don't think that atheism is Satan's greatest accomplishment. I think everyone puts up atheism like, oh, denial of God, like that's the highest, that's the biggest bad part. Um, and I think he is actually more delighted with, uh, with getting us to worship something other than God or worship something uh, that looks and smells like God but actually isn't and uh, is actually a distortion of his nature. His goal is to get us to do anything but know and worship God as he actually truly is. And so that's what we're, uh, that's what we're talking through. Um, so... Today, uh, we're going through uh, the phrase, to thine own self be true. To thine own self be true. And uh, anyone who actually said that? Shakespeare. That's right. That's why I'm in my most theatrical shirt. Um, uh, I'm already breaking the fourth wall. I'm talking to you all. And uh, 
got poor Yurik here as well. So it's, uh, it is Shakespeare Sunday today. Um, so he's just going to sit here and remind you all that death is inevitable. Um, <clears throat> that's actually what they were for. It's called memento mori. It means uh, it's a reminder of death. So um, I really always enjoy getting to, to, to share with you all. Um, it's something I enjoy in the preparation. I enjoy, uh, I enjoy the delivery. I enjoy the Q&A afterwards. And actually, today is an Awaken Q&A Sunday. So all that means is you can text or email questions, comments, anything to awakenqna at gmail.com. It's going to be at the bottom of all the slides as well. And, uh, and we're going to set aside some time at the end to talk through them. I, uh, I do ask that you, um, you use rhyming couplets and, uh, and that you write it in iambic pentameter um, to be able to, you know, truly, to truly uh, work with the bard. So um, I also enjoy them because a lot of times you're just asking my opinion on things, and I am nothing if not an expert in my own opinion. So uh, do not hold back. So, yes, Shakespeare wrote uh, the lines to that himself be true. Which play? Which play? Hamlet. Good job. It is Hamlet. Very nice. What character says it? If y'all are struggling with Hamlet, I wonder if you're going to get the character. Hmm? Okay. That's okay. So the character's name is Polonius, and he's speaking to his son named Laertes. So um, today is going to be Nerd Sunday. So I'm going to be a little bit nerdy. I'm going to bring you along into a little bit of, a, a little bit of um, nerdiness in, uh, in Shakespeare. So what we're doing today is, is looking at the moral weight of the phrase, to thine own self be true. And the tricky part with this is that it, it can be read in many different ways. And at some angles, at a certain degree, you can look at this and it looks a lot like truth, and there's actually some truth in it, depending on how you interpret the words or how you, how you ascribe uh, what they're actually talking about. And that's the sinister part of, of lies, is that there is a certain element of truth when you look at it at a, at a specific way. So, for example, if you were to say, to thine own self be true, where true means honest, sure. You know, even in James 1.22, it says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That there needs to be some congruency inside with on the outside. And so you can deceive yourself. You can lie to yourself. And so if you're using this to say, um, be true with yourself, be honest, don't, don't, don't fool yourself, um, then absolutely. Um, but in the, in the phrase, you're to say that this is the highest ideal, that this above all, be honest with yourself. Well, then no, you know, that's not the supreme idea to, to guide you. Um, even Jesus said um, that the highest thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Um, and then the, another way that it's commonly read is um, as a synonym or as, a, as an implication for follow your own path, find your own truth, follow your heart, right? And, uh, and that's when it starts getting a little bit more sinister. So the funny piece about this is that uh, when Shakespeare wrote them, he actually wasn't intending either of these three meanings. Um, he had something else entirely in mind. So that's what we're going to talk through. We're going to go over uh, what it actually meant in context. We're going to go over what it has come to mean over time. And then we're going to look at the biblical implications and, uh, and how to address what it has come to mean. So those are three areas that we're going through. And the reason that's important is that you will likely encounter this third area. You will likely encounter what it has come to mean this week in media, in your relationships, at work. It's an idea you're going to have to reckon with, and I want to make sure that we're well-armed to be able to reckon with that idea. So in context for what it means, 
Laertes is uh, leaving on a journey to France. His father, Polonius, uh, uh, finds him and says, oh, before you go, let me give you this long speech of advice. And he goes into this long, um, just fatherly advice that sounds very highbrow. And uh, he's telling him how to use money and what kind of friends to have and not have, um, how to um, uh, loans and borrowing and giving and all that. And he ends with these lines. This above all, to thine own self be true. And it must follow as night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. So, disclaimer, it's going to get a little academic, um, but I promise it'll be worth it, and I'm going to try to keep us engaged and entertained as much as possible. But it is going to get, uh, we're going to get into some dope sentence analysis and, uh, and literary interpretation. So, uh, buckle up. So, any time we're considering interpreting literature, um, there's, a, there's a key idea that we, need to, that we need to understand. There's two big camps with how the author is treated. Um, so in the first camp, it says that uh, the author is allowed to bring clarity to what they've written, that I, as the author, have authority over something that I've created. So for example, if I've written a poem and I, uh, and I share it with JT, and, uh, and I, you know, I share it with him, and he's very, very, very touched, and uh, I say, well, what do you think about it? And he says, oh, this is a great poem about macaroni and cheese. I love this macaroni and cheese poem. The golden goodness streaming down, like, man, that is how I relate to macaroni and cheese. This is a great poem. I, as the author, get to say, that is not what I intended. I was talking about the sunshine. I was talking about, you know, the beach and this morning worship that I have with God. And he says, no, 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 it's about macaroni and cheese. I, as the author, am allowed to say, that's a misinterpretation of what I have written. I have intent with what I've written. You have looked at it, and it's actually out of line with what I've intended. And so our opinions have different weight to them, right? So the author has authority over what they've written. The other camp is, a, uh, is an idea that was popularized by a French philosopher named Roland Barthes, and uh, it's the idea of the death of the author. Is anyone familiar with the death of the author as a, as a principle? Cool, I get to teach. Um, so the death of the author basically says that once someone has created something, that I've written something, um, I've severed, it has a life of its own, and I become another interpreter of what it is that I'm reading. So it transfers the authority from the author to the reader. So JT's interpretation of my poem then becomes equally valid as my interpretation of my own poem, that the, that the piece of work has life of its own, and every single reader is equally trying to interpret it, and everyone's is equally valid. This is important because that ideology is very in right now, that, uh, that um, my opinion and your opinion, we're both looking at the same thing, and we have equal footing looking at a third thing rather than understanding the author's intent. So, um, <clears throat> looking, uh, so because I actually think that author intent does matter, we're going to take a look at some character analysis to understand Shakespeare's actual intent, and then we're going to go into what it has come to mean and this idea that we need to address. So, uh, Shakespeare was a master of um, irony and, uh, and nuance. He would intentionally choose words that had multiple meanings. Uh, today we call those puns. So if you are a fan of puns, you're in good company. Uh, if anyone gives you a hard time, point them to Shakespeare. Uh, for example, in Othello, uh, Desdemona, one of the characters, is looking for a character named Cassio. And uh, she walks up to this jester and says, uh, asks where he's sleeping. And she says, uh, do you know where Lieutenant Cassio lies? And he says, I dare not say that he lies anywhere. Why? Because he's a soldier. And if I say a soldier lies, I'd be stabbed. Lies, lies. Where's he sleeping? Where's he lying? So 
he would intentionally create this contrast in, in two types of, uh, of characters. And so he would do this with characters themselves as well. He would um, have a very pious, highbrow person talking about the importance of honesty and transparency while they were in the act of spying and undermining, right? So it's the contrast. Do you guys remember singing in the rain when the sound gets out of sync and the guy's like, yes, 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 no, no, no. It's, it's comedy. It's contrast for the sake of comedy. And, uh, and that's what he does very frequently um, as, a, as a comedy. So the thing about Polonius is that he's actually the worst. Polonius is malicious and manipulative and secret, secretive and self-centered. So um, understanding what he's saying in context with his character, which is he's actually the villain in most, most of the story. Um, and so for him to say something very highbrow is actually in contrast with how he's behaving intentionally. So the second piece is that the passage um, actually hinges on the meanings of the word true and false. Um, there's a, so it, for, for us to say that it's true, meaning it's accurate, um, or it's in line with truth, um, he's actually meaning it to say uh, advantageous. It's beneficial. And because we know his character, he means beneficial for me. Um, and then the other piece is, uh, um, if we can keep going, um, uh, and it must follow as night the day is the other hint that there's something, that there's dual meaning going on here, that it doesn't mean what you think it means, because the more common phrase is that day follows night, right? And it's the same syllables. He could have swapped them, and it would have been the same poetry. Um, but he's intentionally saying there's something sinister here, as nighttime follows day is not a common phrase, but that the daylight follows the darkness is, is very common. So if we were to rewrite this in, uh, in understanding how we're talking about this, uh, the true becomes beneficial. False means disadvantageous, being taken advantage of. And so really what it is actually saying is this above all else, to your own self be advantageous. And it must conclude like darkness always comes after light that you will never be taken advantage of by anyone. In other words, always be selfish and you'll never be a fool. Um, I don't think we need to invest much time in unpacking the moral weight of this. Um, Jesus said to serve others, to reach out to the poor, reach out to the lost, and, uh, and that's, our, that's our call. What it has come to mean is, uh, is something that I want to spend a little more time on. Just because uh, ideas are not static, just because this is what is, was intended doesn't mean that that's how we've come today. That's not, not how the phrase is commonly used today. Um, the, uh, the more common way that this is used is uh, finding your own truth, as opposed to you or I being positioned around an objective truth that we're both looking and they're either close or not close to. So things like my truth, that's your truth, there is no objective truth, no authority of the author, each reader's interpretation is equally valid. Um, what's true for me is true for me, what's true for you is true for you. Um, but as the philosopher Lecrae says, what if my truth says yours is a lie? Is it still true? Um, so if, uh, if, if you still need to be convinced that this idea has, uh, that this idea is very widely accepted inside our culture, these are some statistics of uh, phrases that Americans agree with, done by George Barna. So Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Muslims, and all others pray to the same God, even though they use different names for that God. 64% of Americans agree. Uh, all religions are equally good. 64% of Americans agree. There is no absolute standards that apply to everybody in all situations, 71%. And then finally, there is no such thing as absolute truth. Two people could define truth in totally conflicting ways, but both could still be correct, 72% of America. So the idea that truth is subjective, that it can be anything it wants to be, is a very common idea that you're going to run into at, a, at, a, uh, at almost every turn in, in our society. 
So to address this, let's do a quick refresher of the gospel, because everything becomes clear in light of the gospel. So the gospel is God created us to be in community with him, created us in his image, um, to want the things that he wants, to love the things that he loves, and to, to be with him, right? Uh, enter sin. So sin comes in, and it, uh, it separates, it distorts, and it kills. It separates us from God. It distorts our orientation to be able to understand where he is or how to navigate back to him. And it eventually kills, spiritually, physically. It, it brings death, right? So we are, um, we are all the way over here. God is over there, and we don't have the, the orientation to be able to get back to him. So he comes to find us. And the gospel over and over and over and over again is God coming to find us, is that we could not do it ourselves, and so he came after us to find us. And he comes and he finds us, and the entire time he's, he's making a path back to us, and he's saying this way, this way, this way, which is directional language, saying there is a way to get back to where we are, you were supposed to be, how you were created to be. You can't get there by yourself, this way. Um, even in early Christianity, it wasn't called Christianity, it was called the way, because it was directional language that understood we were separated from God, and we can find our way back to God. Um, so <clears throat> to thine own self be true, the idea of finding our own way back to God is um, it's, a, it's dangerous because it presumes that where I want to go is good. That inside me, there is a compass that is moving me towards an area I actually want to go, and that isn't the case. We were like ships that had our rudders cut. We, have a, we can't navigate. We're like ships that um, are trying to anchor ourselves to ourselves, and we're just drifting, right? And Christ is coming to be that anchor to bring us back into community and fellowship with him. Um, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Mark 8.34 says, um, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. The reality is that if we were inherently good, if my desires were actually pure, then yes, following my heart would be good advice because my heart would be in line with actual truth. It would be in line with actually God. But because our internal compass is broken, it's, it's not a direction to actually walk. Um, that, uh, that he has created a path for us to be able to lead us back to him and... Uh, um, and uh, God, if, if we were to say to God, look, you are inherently good, you do what you want. That's a worthy thing to say because what God wants is good. For God to follow his heart, for God to do what he wants is a good thing. For me to do what I want is a destructive thing. For you to do what you want is a destructive thing. We need to learn the right way, not necessarily the way that we want to walk. Um, if we were a ship, it would be like saying, let's throw our anchor on our own deck because we're the most stable thing in this sea, right? And we're not. We're not the most stable thing around. Uh, Hebrews 6, 19 through 20 says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. When Christ broke the barrier of sin, and it was like, an anecdote to a virus, right? There is now healing. So he brings us back into fellowship. He brings us back into connection, back into communion with God. 
where we were directionless before, we have a direction to walk. We have truth. He's laid it out in scripture for us to be able to know and to be able to walk. It isn't something that we're forging on our own. We're not trailblazers in this scenario. We're walking a path that he walked first. And that's why Jesus calls us to follow him. That's why his call to each person in this room is follow me. Not walk where you want to go. Not go where you want to go. But follow me. Um, <clears throat> our navigation is being repaired. And that's the process of sanctification. That as we spend time with God, as we spend time learning him again, as we spend time walking down this path, we are understanding that when we come to this fork in the road, our navigation system of his spirit being inside us is helping us know which path to take. Uh, Hebrews 10, 22 through 23 says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Draw near is a directional language. Let us move in this direction with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly, this directional language, to hold unswervingly, to be determined and dedicated to hold to the path. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. The reality is that ships make bad anchors. Ships make really bad anchors. Ships are anchored to something. Ships are going in a direction. They have a purpose. They have a plan. They have somewhere they need to be. They have a mission they need to accomplish. You have a mission you are supposed to accomplish. There is a reason that God created every single person in this room, and there's a reason that you exist at this moment in history rather than any other time in history, that you've been placed here with a specific purpose and a specific mission. And it is the height of foolishness to say any path is fine. Any direction will do. Anywhere you wander is equally valid in merit. Just go because you've been created for a purpose. You've been created to accomplish something. You've been created to impact someone. But that takes, and that takes understanding what your mission is, where you're walking toward, and who you're walking with. And the people in this room are who you're walking with. So, what do I want, what am I asking you to do about this? My request to you is to be directionally oriented people. Be signposts. Know the directions from scripture. Spur each other on to goodness. Let your love abound more and more. If you see a brother or sister walking in another direction, help them. It is not love to let people wander into a pit. That isn't love, that's not connection, that's not community, that's not fellowship. The point is, is that we as a body are all moving toward a specific direction, and we as a church, we as a universal church, we as bodies of believers who are in this world at this time, we corporately have a mission as well. And for the church to just wander through time purposeless is not acceptable. That we have to know the direction we're walking and spur each other on towards walking toward it. Um, in a few minutes, we're going to tackle some awakening Q&A. Um, so if, uh, if you'd like, you're welcome to, to send in questions or thoughts. Um, I was joking about the iambic pentameter. You can write whatever you want. Um, while you're doing that, I want to, uh, I'd love to give you 
a final scene to take with you from another piece of literature. So this is from Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. Alice, who has tumbled into this uh, Wonderland world, comes to a fork in the road, and she doesn't know which direction to take. Uh, you will come to a fork in the road not knowing what direction to take. It'll happen. It'll happen this week. It'll happen this month. It'll happen this year. There are many decisions that you're going to need to make. Um, and like I said, the, what you pull out of your pocket and use as navigation is critically important. And so most of this series is being able to audit what is already in our pockets. Um, the cat comes, and, or the Allison, uh, Alice comes, and she meets the Cheshire cat. She says, would you tell me, please, the way I, which way I ought to go from here? And the Cheshire cat says, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. I don't care much where. Then it doesn't matter which way you go. So long as I get somewhere, Alice says, oh, you're sure to do that if only you walk long enough. If you don't know what direction you are walking, which is encompasses salvation, but it's more than that. It's, you can be a believer and wander. You can be a believer and be directionless, right? If you don't know what direction you're walking toward, then it doesn't, then it doesn't matter which path you take. If all you want to do is wander, then directions don't matter. It doesn't make sense for me to ask a directions to somewhere if the place, I, the place that I get to doesn't actually matter. And so <clears throat> my encouragement today is for you to know where you're walking. Know that Christ is the goal. Know that becoming more and more like Christ is the goal. Bringing people along with you to have fellowship, to have life, to have freedom, that's the path that we're walking. And that's the path that I'm asking us to walk and to encourage each other to walk. It's not a matter of being true to yourself. Be true to himself. You don't need to find your own truth. You have found the truth. He is the way, he's the truth, and he is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. You are not the center of the story. He is. You're not the compass. He is. You're not, you're not the rudder. He is the rudder. He is everything that is calling us toward goodness and life. And, uh, and that's the central crux in the idea of this moral relativism that says that any, way, any which way we want to go is fine. And I promise you it's not. All directions are not created equal. And so I want to encourage you to know the truth and walk toward it and to do it with people. Do we have some Q&A put in? No Q&As? Zero? That is okay. Let me pray and we'll, uh, and we'll close out and then uh, we'll have Larry come up and do some announcements. And we've got a, uh, we've got a cool prayer time after, after service as well. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Um, God, I ask that you, would, that you would help us. God, we are not good at doing this alone. That's why you've put so many fantastic people in this room to do it with us. Um, God, I ask that you would, um, that you would be with us as we, as we go out today. Um, that you would help us walk toward you. That you would help us orient ourselves around you and not try to find our own meaning and our own truth, that you've created us for meaning, you've created us for truth. And I just pray that over these, these folks today. In Jesus' name, amen.